Hi, my name is Rebecca Thomas, and I'm the founder of Not Another Diet, a program and now a podcast that teaches weight loss without dieting. Welcome to episode number nine, The Critical Flaws with Intuitive Eating. So today, I really want to get into the idea of where I think the gaps in thinking and the flaws in logic are with intuitive eating. It's not a takedown. There's some really good ideas in there. But in order to expand your understanding of weight and yourself, you do have to understand what is being presented to you. So let's get into it. So what is intuitive eating? It's a series of protocols, essentially, but they were created by two women, a dietitian and a nutritionist, as an anti-diet way of living and thinking. So, so far, so good, right? I'm very much in the anti-diet way of living and thinking. So this has been something that I sort of jumped into a little bit to see what's what. And I found an explanation that I'm going to read to you as to exactly what this is, or it's a summary, I should say, uh, of what intuitive eating means. Intuitive eating is a simple idea. It means that you make peace with all types of food. Unlike traditional diets that restrict or ban certain foods, intuitive eating requires you to stop looking at food as good or bad. Instead, you listen to your body and eat what feels right for you. Well, that's a very seductive quote. (laughs) What that implies, however, is that uh, your body is unaffected by your environment and food, and that all your choices can happen from decisions made inside of you. And while I love the idea of, I love the idea of all of that, I think that there's some problems. And part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast is not to tear down intuitive eating because, you know, there's some really good stuff in there. And if you are a person who is not interested in losing weight, you don't want to talk about that anymore. That's just not part of what you want in your life, which I'm going to assume that you're not part of my audience. But if that's what someone wants for themselves, I think it's a perfectly good way to go. And I don't suggest that every person should go out and lose weight. It does involve changing some aspects of your life that people may or may not want to do. They may or may not want to think about that. And I respect that. But for my audience and for you know the, the perspective that I'm bringing is you want a healthy weight. You want that. Maybe not by any means necessary, and I hope by not any means necessary, but this is something that's really important to you. And I, I deeply relate to that. I deeply relate to the idea of, of wanting a healthy weight, just no longer wanting to create self-harm in your life. And so I think that's where a lot of people end up with intuitive eating, which is why this podcast episode is focused on this. It's not a takedown. It's really important to say that. It is not a takedown of this series of ideas. I've seen people who love it and feel good in it, but they are also people who have decided that obesity or extra weight is not a problem for them anymore and they wanna handle their lives differently. That is okay. But here we're gonna talk, everything here is through the lens of you want a healthy weight, You want a way to think about yourself. You want a way to make peace with food, which intuitive eating and I very much uh, align on the idea of making peace with food. 
where we don't align, and I'm going to get into that a little further into the podcast, is what making peace means. We have very different ideas about that. So there's some good things in there, um, uh, but there's it's it's mixed with some gaps in thinking, and uh, updated food science, and frankly brain science. You know the very ways in which we function. The quote here is: "You make peace with all types of food." There's there's all kinds of stuff that's really all about personal psychology, which is very important, and frankly, a good bit of my program is about personal psychology as well. But Personal psychology has to be buffeted with nutrition science, with brain science. How do we function? How are we affected? What are the many ways that we're affected by others, right? So some of the good in intuitive eating, it's important to to point this out because, again, as I mentioned, it's not a takedown. There's an emphasis on satiating hunger versus depriving yourself or holding your eating down. I very much respond to that idea. I like the idea of satiating your hunger in fact, I elevate your hunger. <laughs> I think your hunger is a massively important tool in being happy, being healthy, and regulating yourself to a healthy weight. They emphasize movement over militant workouts. Also, I'm in lockstep with that. It turns out that gentle movement throughout the day, much more effective for having a healthy weight than um, compressing. You know, modern life encourages us through work schedules and all kinds of things to compress our workouts into, you know, your time at the gym and then, boy, you better work out hard and it better hurt and better, you know, it's just like, oh, the, all of that sounds awful, but also it's simply not enough movement, which is a weird thing to say about, uh, you know, difficult workouts, but it's not, you, you have to move more all day, every day. And so emphasizing gentle movement throughout the day, that, that seems very sensible to me. And just being gentle with yourself in general is a part of the intuitive eating um, protocol. And I de definitely respond to that. I mean, much in the way that I think about self-improvement is actually parenting yourself, reparenting yourself. And if that sounds a little like, you know, therapy or whatever, um, I'm good with that. I, I don't think this biggest loser idea of punishing yourself into weight or punishing yourself into any kind of self-improvement is it works. You know, if it worked, I guess I would do it, but I just don't think it does. I, I think you, people can stick with it for a little while, but maybe not for the duration. And weight care, weight management, lasting weight loss is done in your daily work. It's forever. <laughs> so being punishing, it, it just it just is not an effective strategy, and it's certainly not a healing strategy which I definitely respond to the idea of healing or improving yourself by healing your relationships and your metabolism and your body and your relationship to the world. Those are, those are, that's a much more lasting and effective way to go. And the, you know, the last thing I'll say as an introduction to this is that no ideological camp is a good place to make your health decisions. None. Coming up with what's important to you and figuring out what you want, what you don't want, what could work for you in your life, what upends you. This is actually a very personal process and no ideological camp is going to have all the answers. Really, I think having a healthy weight or reframing yourself to your weight is a process of experimentation. What is going to work for me? What do I actually want? And sometimes you don't even know what you want until you start a process and then what you want unfolds. That's cool. 
that's totally fine. I remember when I started my weight loss journey many years ago, I was walking with my brother and I, this was the part where I was starting to think about ditching goal weights. You know, I was like, this is crazy. I don't, I don't want to goal weight anymore. But I was thinking, you know, I was just chatting with him and thinking like, what if I could lose maybe 20 pounds? Well, it turned out I have 55 pounds that eventually came off and are still off to this day. Um, but I like the idea of keeping, of things being loose and just exploring ideas. So we're exploring these series of ideas. And that's in basically what intuitive eating is. It's a series of ideas modeled by these two women who I'm going to talk about at the end also, because there's this uh, New York Times article that features them. And I was a lot more positive <laughs> about intuitive eating until I read that article, I'll be honest. That article definitely pushed me back a little bit. But, you know, in, re in, in retrospect, it could be that the framing, it was the framing of the subject more than anything else. But still, there's some framing in there that I think they encouraged, and I'm going to go through it with you. So this is like my little 101 to intuitive eating. And uh, in the next part, we're going to go through what I think are the critical flaws with intuitive eating and maybe some ways that I think about it and help you think about these ideas a little differently too. Let's get into what I think are the critical flaws with intuitive eating and what really has pushed me back from um, adopting any of their ideas in a wholesale way. Of course, I've developed my own system, but I'm always interested in other ideas. I think that's cool. Like, there's a lot of good thinkers out there, and there's a lot of people who touch on one idea. Maybe they don't have the full idea, but they touch on something, and they can offer you some clarity about um, your own self and your motivations, whatever, the world <laughs> or food. Um, and I like that. So I'm always taking in new ideas and I like to think that not another diet is going to evolve as my thinking evolves, as science evolves and as other good thinkers put things out there. But here are, are where I think the critical flaws are with intuitive eating. And the first one is conflates weight loss with dieting. So they don't just say that they're an anti-diet series of practices, mindset, principles. I'm not really sure exactly how they identify that, but they say also that you specifically should be anti-diet so that you stop endeavoring to lose weight. And that's where I take a step back. Um, it's not that I, again, just to be really clear, I'm not saying everyone should lose weight. Even if you have weight to lose, I'm not saying everyone should lose weight. What I am saying though, is that you can't just erase that from people's minds that they want something like that. You certainly wouldn't have been able to talk me out of it all those years ago. I was willing to be patient and learn and all kinds of things. But to say you have to set that down forever in pursuit of these ideas is a, a massive critical flaw that sends people back to dieting. <laughs> because what you're essentially saying is you can have one of two things. You can restrict your food and you can diet uh, to lose weight, or you can go this other way where you just simply use your mindset to make peace with everything, including the fact that your body doesn't feel good, that you might be suffering from chronic diseases, that uh, which I did, and that you you don't you shouldn't even want this anymore um, if you're going to set down dieting. And 
you know, again, this is a wholly personal point of view, but I think it's shared with a lot of people. To me, this is asking people to cut out a very important part of themselves and what they would like for themselves. And that is not an unreasonable thing to want for yourself to live at a healthy weight. I'm not telling people to be thin. I'm saying that if you really want this, that is a very reasonable thing to want. And to go into a, a, an ideology that basically just says like, you should stop wanting that. I, I don't, I don't find that very helpful. Now, you know, there's a lot of places that advocate for that. Sometimes you get it at the doctor's office. Sometimes you get it through things like intuitive eating. I think really what I would take away is that they don't have better tools, but they think they also, by the way, think about weight loss through the construct of diet culture, because if you think weight loss is the exact same thing as dieting, you are thinking about weight loss within the confines of diet culture and diet culture is about deprivation. But what I would tell you, and by the way, if you're listening to this, I'm always going to point you back to the other episodes. Please go back to episodes two and three, where I talk about what is a diet. There's a reason that I started with this, that it's foundational to your understanding about what's being presented to you, whether or not something is based on dieting, i.e. restriction, i.e. holding down your eating in some sort of artificial capacity, and long-term weight loss, which is, in my experience and in my members' experiences, very, very different, very different. And does not rely on deprivation, but is an intention-oriented series of practices and ideas and actions. And so I don't think of weight loss and dieting at all in the same way. And I think part of the reason that I started this company was to sort of shed a light on a very different way to approach weight loss so that there was some light at the end of the tunnel for people who really wanted to lose weight, but were willing to set down dieting. We're, we're willing, you know, one of the things that happens when I figure out who my ideal customer is, is really someone who has dieted over a lifetime. Like I kind of need people to be fed up with dieting. I really do, you know, because it's hard to talk to somebody who um, is still thinking about you know, I, I know, like, I love one of the famous lines I hear from people who aren't ready is like, I know what to do to lose weight. You know, my answer is always no, you know how to diet. You know, okay, you know how to diet. But there's this other way of thinking about weight loss. And I think that's a, that's a really important aspect of broadening your understanding so that you also aren't falling into the same trap that, frankly, the intuitive people are falling into, which is that dieting and weight loss are essentially the same things, or that you need to have dieting, i.e. deprivation, in order to induce weight loss. And uh, I'm living proof <laughs> that nothing could be further from the truth. I've not deprived myself one day, not one hour, frankly, in all of these years, but uh, that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I think about food um, quite in the same way as they do. Which brings me to my next point. Um, and that is, they talk about, so I read that quote to you about making peace with food, which like, that sounds really seductive. I love that. Make peace with food, with all kinds of food. You make peace with everything, every single thing 
you know, um, doesn't matter what, <laughs> what its effect on you is or what it's, it, whether it's filled with chemicals or any of those things, you just, it's sort of a, like a, a Jedi mind trick. You just show up and make peace with it and that that somehow will fix the problems. So that's a bit of a spoiler, but here's my next problem with intuitive eating. You can't make peace with food that's waging a war on you. So what do I mean by that? Well, in episode seven, yeah, in episode seven, I cover food processing, which I think is a, a, a monumental issue in, in really the underlying structure of all of modern obesity, all of it. Yes, I understand some people are naturally larger. I'm cool with that. I don't have ideas and expectations of other people's bodies. But when you have an entire population that is now headed towards 50% of us are obese, and then we're getting into morbidly obese, what you're talking about are the underlying, you know, this is something that's happening to all of us. Well, what's happening to all of us? The food environment has changed. How has the food environment changed? We have a ton of food processing thrown at us, a ton. Once you start uncovering it in your own life, it is truly shocking. I had lunch with a former client who's now a friend recently, and she she was joking with me. She's like, now that I understand all of this, like is you can just it's amazing how it's it's literally everywhere. It's everywhere. And that's true. That's really true. And you know, one way you can deal with it with intuitive eating is just to say, well, this is the environment I live in, and I'm gonna make peace with the body it produces. And you know, I wouldn't talk you out of it, actually, but I wouldn't talk you into it either. I wouldn't tell you that that's the way to handle uh, your weight if that's what you really want to handle is to just decide that you're going to be in an obesogenic environment and put up with the obesogenic effect. I don't think I use that word right, but you know where I'm going with this. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that to you. I... I think misunderstanding what food has become. And if it's helpful to, to you as you're watching or listening to this, one of the things I did early on for myself, this was a little mindset shift, is what is food to me? That's it. And that's actually part of my program is like figuring out what food is to you and then negotiating it in your household. What is food within this household? And for me, where I have come down on all of that is I am a big fan of minimal processing or what I call heritage foods. So these are foods that have a process that were originally done by hand. Extra virgin olive oil, miso, tofu, the cheese. These are all heritage foods. And so I don't worry about them either. But you have to figure out what food means to you. And early on in the process, a lot, a lot of modern food, I decided was in a non-food category for me. And I'm going to get into why I made such a big distinction. That distinction speaks to how food affects you. And this is where I really push back on the intuitive eating idea, which is you will stop wanting foods that are off limits to you if they're no longer off limits. <laughs> and I think that is a perspective that could have worked, say, 30 or 40 years ago in a different modern food environment. You know, like maybe the worst thing that you had was some chocolate in the household. And if you just didn't tell yourself you couldn't have this, then you wouldn't want it so much. That, that, that sort of makes sense to me. But that's not the food environment that we live in. 
a good example of that are the highly processed foods that are designed. They are designed to create metabolic havoc. They're hyperpalatable, which means they fall apart in your mouth. They are, as I've talked about in a past episode, they are more available to your body that your, your body uptakes the calories, uh, a much uh, at a greater rate and they create compulsions. And there are food scientists who are aware of this. And when they make new formulations, this is the reason you see some of these chemical ingredients. This is the reason for having added sugar in everything. Everything has added sugar. Why? Is it, it, I mean, the short answer is sort of a capitalism answer, which is to tell you that it sells a lot more of that product because people like the taste of it. Okay, but I think there's a, a deeper underlying issue, which is that it creates compulsions for you to eat more in one sitting and then come back for it. And that goes into your emotional environment where we feel badly and then we want that dopamine, right? So this, you know, it's a complex issue that is worth taking the time to pull apart. But you can't think your way out of that. And that's what the, like, this, this is the big reveal. You cannot think your way out of dealing with high levels of food processing. There is nothing that's going to stop. And, you know, a, a good example in my own life for me are Oreo cookies, like, I cannot think my way out of those. I cannot think my way out of those. It's not a matter of whether this food is off limits or on limits to me. Those are meaningless ideas. I am not able to have a package of Oreos in my house without it constantly pinging my brain or making me want to eat many, many in one sitting in a way that say like a slice of homemade chocolate cake might not do that I might be able to have more of a control over. I simply, as I mentioned in the willpower episode, I just simply don't penalize myself for this in any way, shape or form. This is not a personal failing. And if you end up sort of adopting this idea of like, well, I am just going to make peace with this food, which means that if I want it, I'll have it. And if I overconsume it, then that's just what my body needs right now. I don't like, it's a slippery, you know, the whole thing is just a slippery slope to me of basically saying overconsumption is okay. It's okay to overconsume a food that is going to cause problems for you. Th this is the quote, the less certain foods are forbidden, the less power they have over you. And my answer to that is no. No, that's not the case. Uh, moderation, food moderation is not a mind trick. It's not a mind trick. It's actually the product. If you, if you want to moderate your eating, it's about food quality. It 100% is about food quality. I've seen it happen over and over again. It's been the reason for my own consistency for so, so long. You know, I don't stick to eating moderately because I have amazing willpower. I do not have amazing willpower and I never will. And that is not a personal failing of mine. And if you don't either, that's cool. That means that you're a human being. As I talked about in episode seven, episode eight, I don't know. I'm getting confused now because I've made a bunch of these, but uh, you can scroll through and um, see the different ones. So, you know, the, the things that, the, here's a quote from the New York Times article, you can have whatever you want, explained Mrs. Ms. Resch, you can have it for the rest of your life. Well, I'm going to push back on that. There's things that I have taken out of my diet completely, completely. I cannot have them in moderation. They do not act in moderation on me. And there is no mind trick that I am able to perform 
to make those things work for me. And a lot of the modern food environment now looks more like Oreos than it does like pasta. You know, that quote would be a good quote as it goes to something like pasta. That's a processed food for sure. And the, the processing is what causes some, some issues with weight, but you can have it. You can, and, and I will eat pasta again and I do have it on occasion. And, you know, so that quote works there, but the modern food environment is predominantly highly processed foods. Now that's not a mind trick. You're not going to think your way out of that. And, and if you've tried unsuccessfully, let me give you permission to stop that. You don't have to keep going with those ideas. You need to learn to protect yourself, which is part of what I teach. So the next one is they talk a lot about eating freely. And the, what I put here is eating freely sounds seductive, but we need guardrails. So I love the idea of eating freely. And I think that's actually what I do. So it's not an idea I'm rejecting wholesale by any means. You should feel comfortable in your home environment and in the other environments that you create to eat freely. That's an important aspect of, I, I guess, having some personal freedom in the world, sort of walking through the world and thinking, I can, I can feed myself and it's all okay. And I will feel good about what I'm eating. Those are, you know, I'm probably more in lockstep with intuitive eating on that basic idea. Now, the problem is where we see guardrails. As I read intuitive eating, any sense of guardrails is diet culture and you're not allowed or not allowed, but like that's discouraged. And I don't see it that way at all. You can invert that. What I see is if you want a healthy weight, it is actually your responsibility to start creating guardrails around protecting yourself and protecting your eating. And in fact, I think of self-care as it relates to weight is actually self-defense. In general, my personal philosophy is there's nothing wrong with any of us, but that we live in worlds and relationships and food environments that are designed to put weight on us. And so your work is to put up guardrails all over the place to secure a better outcome for yourself or the outcome you would like, which if you're listening to my work, I think what you want is a healthy weight, which is again, a perfectly reasonable thing to want. Can you imagine how off, how, how crazy is it? How nuts <laughs> has modern society become that we shouldn't even want something as basic as having a healthy weight that's stable feels good and you know how to accomplish it. I I don't know. That one really sets me back a little bit and it makes me sad to tell you the truth because the process of getting to one has been so transformative for me personally and for my health. You know, I feel like a different person and I feel so grateful for that all these years later and getting to my healthy weight. It's not like I hate the, the the idea of saying, well, a thinner body is a better body. That's not at all how I feel. I think everyone has a good body. I don't, I don't, I don't really make that sort of distinction. But the opportunities that it has presented to me, how I feel about myself, how I show up in the world, all of that has been deeply affected. And I would not want to go back and um and just say those things aren't important. I don't, I, you know, there's not one way to get to everything, but it's okay to acknowledge all of the beneficial aspects of getting to a healthy weight. So the next critical flaw is that you can't respond to your hunger. It, it, it talks a lot about 
Intuitive eating is about responding to your hunger and your satiation. I'm on board. I am so on board with that. I love the idea of saying, am I hungry? <laughs> am I hungry? And then feeding yourself. Yes, this has been a huge part of my own success in sticking with it all this time. You know, you hear people talk about how dieting means going hungry. No, like, well, yes, I mean, dieting does mean going hungry, but weight loss doesn't. Ah, here we go. I'm going to separate it out for you one more time. Dieting means going hungry. Weight loss does not. And part of that reason is checking in with your hunger. So I'm, I'm on board with intuitive eating. Where I'm not, where we diverge is that I don't think you can respond to your hunger. Your hunger is a holistic environment. It, there's a lot to it. It's not just you having hunger, you know, but you have to, you have to respond to, uh, what food is and isn't, which I just covered. You know, you really have to separate that out. Like how does your, how does your hunger respond to a bowl of lentils versus a bag of, of Oreos? Really different, right? Like, I'm sure when I said that to you, you kind of went like, oh yeah, yeah. Do you go back for lentils when you're no longer hungry? Do you feel compelled by your brain? Does it knock on your, you know, does it knock on your psyche and go like, you should go eat the lentils, go finish off all the lentils that you stored in the refrigerator. Just go eat the whole thing. No, it doesn't. So that example is a really good one of your hunger. Isn't just this thing. It's deeply affected by what you do and your food choices would be one. Your emotional environment would be another, you know, a lot of time, like, Everything in modern culture tells us to soothe ourselves with food and food has food and marketing and the marketing of food has now jumped on board with that. Like if you feel badly, you should have this. If you know, give yourself a little pep, do, you know, oh my God, it goes on and on. Once you start seeing it, it's pretty shocking. And I think that's really destructive. Like I, I don't think it's not that I judge somebody for having ice cream when they're feeling down. It's that it's super unhelpful. It doesn't actually make you feel all that much better. It does stop you from doing things that could actually help you. And if you're talking about satiating your hunger, you are not satiating your hunger when you are simply uh, looking for a dopamine hit with emotional eating. Again, not a judgment on that at all, but a point to see it with a little bit of clarity. That is not responding to hunger. That is responding to your emotional environment with food. Very different. Your hunger is affected by many aspects of how you conduct your life. Learning about that, learning about the process of what your hunger is and isn't is actually foundational to my approach as well. But the idea that this is something that you should just respond to your hunger with whatever food is around you, whatever food you feel like having, you can do that. You'll be overweight. And if you don't want to be overweight, then you have to rethink what all of that means. And it's very doable. And it is not about depriving yourself or having an unhappy life or never having a treat or having massive willpower or a bad relationship with food. I feel like I have a better relationship with food now all these years later, but I think about it quite differently than uh, the intuitive eating approach. Back to the point that I made earlier, which is that your hunger is holistic. Everything, everything as it relates to how you eat and function and your emotional environment is holistic. Weight is holistic. You know, dieting purposely narrows the scope so they don't have to talk to you about all the different ways in which you're thinking your life um, and your food 
upends your healthy weight. But the truth is that all your practices, you know, one of the things that I teach is that all of your good healthy weight practices, I think of them as being sort of hand in glove with each other. And I wanted to talk about intuitive eating because it is predicated on some good ideas, but then it's also predicated on some bad ideas as they relate to a healthy weight. Again, if you are not interested in thinking about weight loss or what, or, and you respond, you know, you respond innately to the idea of no food being good or bad, um, which I, I don't, I'm not sure I think of food being good or bad either. I think of it as being food or not food. There's some things that are just not food to me anymore. And I don't, I'm not sure they, I think of them as food at all. But if you respond to all of those things, then it's definitely worth checking out. But if you're looking for a lasting, healthy weight, there's some serious flaws in those thinking. And there's some ways to approach it that are a little bit different. And weight loss, i.e. weight care, if you listen to my prior episodes, you know I make no distinction between weight loss and weight maintenance. Those are diet culture inventions uh, to separate them, is holistic. You, you rethink, you rethink a lot of things all for the better. You rethink your sleep and uh, your movement and what food means to you and how you deal with your emotions. And so I think you can, you know, some of the good ideas of intuitive eating to be gentle with yourself, to respond to your hunger, um, to, uh, 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 to create an emphasis on daily movement. And those are all things that are, that are great, but they're, as I see them applied very differently. So I hope this was helpful to you in your journey of rethinking dieting, um, but not giving up on a healthy weight. There are a lot of wonderful benefits to uh, achieving and keeping a healthy weight and that I wouldn't want people to give up on if they don't want to. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Not Another Diet, the podcast. If you're interested in exploring the idea of using your hunger as a tool for weight loss and making peace with food and eating naturally, I've come up with a new freebie that I'm really excited about it. It's uh, available to you at notanotherdiet.co front slash the hunger practice. The hunger practice is a foundational idea to the not another diet approach to weight, which is to understand and respond to your hunger in a way that helps achieve a healthy weight. And I've got a whole, it's a PDF that you can download with videos and to talk to you about what this approach is and what it can do for you. So go right now, sign up and it'll be in your inbox. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.